Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Welcome back to the second series, or the second sermon rather, in our series Seasoning. Um, we, we're taking this approach that life is like seasons. There are, there's a pattern to the things that happen to us. There's a way that circumstances affect us, and we have the opportunity to not necessarily dictate how we get in those circumstances, but how we use those circumstances to change the way we live our life. Last week we talked about winter, and that winter is a season of change, and we're using the story of Joseph to sort of walk us through. Joseph isn't the perfect example, he isn't the perfect person, but the way that he used the seasons in his life shows that he allowed the circumstances and the things that happened to him to be seen through a lens. And, and that's the only way to be thankful, right? Like, think about when you're thankful and when you're not. It's less about what's happening around you and more about your perception and perspective of the things that are happening in and around you. So we, we realized that although last week uh, Pastor Ed's big idea was what needs to change before you can move forward? So the story was Joseph, right? We, he's in a pit. That's sort of Joseph's winter. He was thrown there by his brothers who also took his jacket, his coat of many colors, although technically it doesn't say that. And he's thrown in this pit, and he hears them making this plan of his life. First, murder. Let's kill him. Second, let's just leave him in the pit. And let him starve to death. Much more humane. Third, you know what? Let's make a buck. This guy's been doing his life at our expense. He's been snitching to father and telling him all the things we're doing. Let's just sell him and make a dollar. And who cares what happens? We'll have 20 pieces of silver. Joseph had a lot of things that he had no control over that put him in that pit. And I believe that as Joseph was chained to the line of slaves walking to Egypt, he began to realize there was one thing that Joseph had the power to change at that moment, and that was Joseph. Joseph didn't have the power to change the circumstances that got him there. Joseph didn't have the power to change anything but Joseph's response to the current situation, and I believe as Joseph reflected on his life, on that long, long journey to Egypt, he began to see he wasn't really perfect and innocent in the story either. We begin to see that come true in the way he responds to his circumstance. Today, as Pastor Milt mentioned, we're talking about spring. And spring is the season of growth, but it's not really the season of outward growth. It's more the season of internal growth and lower surface growth, roots. Spring is when we capitalize and prepare ourselves for the next long season, summer. So it's important that we realize which season we're in and that we're focusing on what we can do and it's proof that Joseph was doing that. See, because sometimes we, we look too far to the future and don't look at the present. We look too far to where we want to go, where we should be. It's not fair. It's not right. Can't believe I'm still here. Can't believe I still have to do this. It's not fair. It's not right. 
and we lose sight of the now. Where are you? Where can you influence? What can you do? Where can you be someone who's making a difference, not for yourself, but for Christ? Because until we realize that this life we're living as followers of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you, even if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, living your life for yourself is really short-sighted and not as fulfilling as we think it would be. If you keep making decisions for yourself on the outside and on the surface, it seems like it makes sense. But the more you keep doing that, the less rewarding you'll find it to be. And until we see that we are not here for ourselves, but that we are a part of a grand picture and plan of God's to bring about His glory and the salvation of this world through the sacrifice of His Son, then we're going to be really, really miserable. But when I see that the things that I'm enduring, living through, I don't just endure them, I get to partake in them, get better, and also bring and show people who I serve and why it matters. And we see that because Joseph was focused on the now, he was able to have a major impact on his present circumstance. I have been the victim of long-term thinking, right? Have you ever been there? Have you, you let the current circumstances, and then you start to try to do the algorithm of what's going to happen because of the current circumstances in the future. You start to try to predict trajectories. You're like a pilot. There are pilots, I'm sure, in this room, and you're trying to project that, man, my reaction to this circumstance now, the trajectory is off or too far or too short, or what did I just do? If you've ever had children, you maybe have had an instance where you said, well, as a result of that parenting gym, it's likely they end up in prison, right? And then if you have a lot of kids, you maybe say, well, maybe if they all end up in the same prison, at least we can still have Thanksgiving together. And, and so you start to think, if you think too far in the future about the current circumstance, guess what happens? You start to operate under things that you cannot predict, so guess what happens when you start to raise your kids based on the future and not the now? You forget about the now and you start worrying about them as an adult. So guess what becomes a lot bigger deal? Mistakes, kid stuff. When you start thinking about your career and the future in a circumstance you can't predict, guess what happens in the moment? Every circumstance becomes some personal affront. When you start thinking about your marriage, Guess what happens? Every decision your mate makes or mistake they make because you live with them and are put in an almost unwinnable situation already. Guess what happens when you start looking too far to the future? You start really being bitter about the now. We, uh, we, we took on this endeavor at one point in our life to uh, become foster parents. That chapter of our life has ended. It was a a 10-year run. But about four weeks into that run, I had what I called the long night. Uh, we had uh, taken in one child. She was three months old. She was beautiful. We loved her. She was a baby. Everybody brought stuff over to the house. I mean, it was this huge party. And then like two days later, they called and said, will you take a sibling group of three? And I said, I was at camp. I wasn't even going to be home for a week. I'm like, Rachel calls, says, what, what do you think we should do? I said, I think we should do it. 
She says, what are you going to say? I said, well, I'm going to say yes. So I called and that's what I told him. I said, yes. And, and she calls me back and said, did you say yes? I said, yeah, I said, yes. She said, through tears and I don't, you said yes? Yeah, yeah okay, well, I'll call him back. So anyway, this whole thing ends up, the kids show up, right? And I get home from camp. Middle of the night, somebody's screaming. Somebody's cut their hair in the middle of the night. I don't know why. Uh, my kids have now been displaced from their beds. They're all in, uh, my boys, they had their own rooms. Now they're in a room shared, and there's kids everywhere. There's babies crying all night. Some, one of the kids had lice. Lice is now all over our house. And I'm now, because there's so many kids in my bed, I'm out in the bed of somebody else, maybe the couch. I can't remember. And I'm laying there thinking, what have I done? What have I done to the future? What have I done to my poor, precious kids? What did I, they didn't, what, did, what is going on? What about my marriage? I'm not even in my bed. And it's not even my fault. I was thinking about everything, and I was predicting trajectories, and I was predicting a future that is silly, right? Because you're thinking, and you're looking at me, and you're saying, well, Jesse, obviously everything worked out. Praise the Lord, it has. 17 kids came through the home. I only cried one night. I guess that's a win. But guess what? Maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you're not living in your current circumstance, but you're so far in the future, you're miserable in your now. And I don't blame you. I'm sure there's legitimate reasons. I'm just telling you, trying to get to the future and not living in the now means you're just perpetuating it. And we see that in Joseph's life, in this story, there's explicit things that we have to see. We see clearly in the scripture. And then there's implicit things, things that we don't, that aren't written, but we know are true because of what is said. And they can be applied directly to our life, and they apply directly to our big idea today, and is this. To thrive in the future is to be present in the now. I'm not saying don't plan for the future. I'm not saying, hey, you only have 100 bucks, go spend it today. I'm not talking financially. I'm, not ta- I'm talking that there, when we become obsessed with our next chapter, we miss the chapter now, and we begin a perpetual cycle of ruin and dissatisfaction that just keeps moving and moving and moving. So, turn with me to Genesis 39. We were in 37 last week, 38. It's in there, okay? You can read it. It has nothing to do with Joseph necessarily. But 37 ends where 39 begins, which is Joseph's now long journey. I don't think we could overstate the treacherousness of his slave journey from Dothan to Egypt was long. He was a young man of privilege, and yet now he has been strapped and sold in Egypt to the house of a powerful man who is of the elite order of the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh. This is a bad situation. Joseph is now in a circumstance that while he certainly made his brothers not like him more than he should have, he had nothing to do with ending up here. By all accounts, this is not fair. And 
we need to find the places in our lives where we continually say, not fair, and then put ourselves right here where Joseph is. Because all of us find a not fair place, a it-shouldn't-be-this-way circumstance. But what can you affect? You can affect you. You can affect your response, and you can affect the way you show others who your life is lived for. Joseph did that. Genesis 39.2 says this. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar, that is the man with whom Joseph had been purchased by, noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. How did, how did Potiphar know the Lord? Potiphar wasn't, listen, he wasn't in Israel. He wasn't, he wasn't with his father's home. He wasn't in the original tribe. This is very new. The Yahweh movement here. We explicitly know that Pharaoh noticed that the Lord, capital L, was with Joseph. And this we know implicitly that Joseph had to have said why he was so happy. What his life was for. What the bad circumstances, how he could possibly live in a positive way. The Lord was with Joseph, it says in the beginning. The Lord is typically not with the person who says, hate this place. You know this job, you know this working for Potiphar? Yeah, sure, nice bed, hate it. Should be anywhere. You know I'm from a family of privilege. You know, in my old church, we used to do it this way. You know, I used to do this. You know, at my old job, I was this. I didn't have to answer little snot-nosed kids like you. You know, in my house, this, that, my father, people this, 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 this. Everywhere I want to be is everywhere I'm not. It's a clear indication that the Lord is not with you. So we find that there are some implicit things that we know how to modify our life, our words, our deeds, and our actions through what Joseph wasn't doing. And what happens is that this makes a difference. We gain more influence. We get more. This pleased Potiphar, verse 4, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and its crops and his livestock flourished. So guess what? Potiphar gave complete administrative responsibility over to everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. It actually says that. I didn't put that in there. That doesn't happen by living in the future. By living in what could have been, should have been, wished to, had have been. That's not appropriate English. Because being present in the now helps us do the right thing. Being present in the now helps us do the right thing. You understand, there's a lot of things we need to do. There's a lot of options, right? We can't just go through life doing the bare minimum. 
Joseph wasn't doing the bare minimum. He didn't just show up to work a bunch of time clock. He didn't just say, hey, it's been a month. We should probably go on a date. Hey, kids, come talk to dad for a few minutes before he gets annoyed and tired of you. Uh, No, Joseph wasn't just clocking in. Joseph was giving all he had because Joseph's life wasn't Joseph's. It didn't matter fair. It didn't matter what should have been. He went, hey, I serve God. I had a lot of things I needed to work on. I'm changing that, and guess what I can do? I can be where I am because I have very little input on the future. The sooner we realize what Joseph realized, the better our life is. We can do all the predictions. Here's here's a challenge. I've been on this staff for years, and, and Pastor Milt's here, and he could tell you, Pastor Ed, if he was here, he would tell you. We, we sometimes, and this is a good policy, you should do this with your family, you should do this with yourself, you should do this with every organization that you're in. You should come up with a five-year plan, 10-year plan. I've been here 19 years, and we've made really good five-year plans, some of the best I think you could possibly make, some of the best and most creative minds in there. And do you know how many five-year plans have actually looked like that in five years? Zero. Does it mean that we shouldn't have made those plans? No, those are important. But are we going to go, guys, look, complete failure. No, it doesn't change anything. It sh- that's a trajectory we're trying to hit. This isn't a message about not planning. This is a message about while you have a plan, you're living in your current circumstances, understanding that your best idea is simply a guidepost to God's grand plan. And that we are living moment by moment according to his will just to thrive in the future is to be present in the now being present in the present also allows us to not do the wrong thing stay focused on now keeps us from having a fatalistic attitude joseph is going to need that we're going to read that here in a second but you know what i'm talking about that idea of well it doesn't matter anyway i don't know what it matters having a fatalistic future looks worse, can't imagine a better circumstance, I can't see a brighter day, that kind of idea leads us, sets the tee up for very, very bad things happening. When we think what we're currently doing doesn't have any effect on the future, guess what? We're willing to do anything. Joseph had a anchor of truth he had an anchor of what mattered in his life and it guided his current circumstance and it guided his future reality and it kept him from doing the bad things it helps us do the good things the right things but it also keeps us from doing the bad things here we go genesis 39 8-9 but joseph so Basically, verse 7 says that how good-looking Joseph was in Potiphar's wife, who is honestly more famous in the story than Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, she found Joseph very attractive. And Joseph, it says in verse 8, refused. He said, look. Then he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing for me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It'd be a great sin against God. Yes, Joseph, it would, but he'd really get it Potiphar, the man who bought you with money. 
The man who is benefiting from your righteous living. The man who just doesn't do anything because he made a good investment in you. You're a commodity that he doesn't care about except that it makes him only have to think about his dinner, his lunch, and his breakfast. That attitude puts us in a place that's horrible. That's why every day you see good people make bad decisions and you say, how did that happen? The only answer is their current circumstances weren't good enough. And they looked somewhere else and the future wasn't bright enough so they decided, hey, if the future's not going to be any brighter, what does it matter what I do now? But Joseph saw the future was simply the way he thrived in the now and Joseph said, no, I can't do that. It would be a dishonor. And to dishonor Potiphar would be to dishonor God. Because I don't live for Potiphar and I don't live for Potiphar's wife. And the way that I live shows everyone else I work for who I am and what I do. And I'm not going to live my life that way. So when we make a decision to thrive in the future, we have to be present in the now. It reminded me of this story. Yeah, Joseph, right? Joseph's just a guy. Joseph doesn't know the future. Joseph doesn't know how he's going to, he doesn't know what his great wise decisions are going to do now. He has to trust God. Okay, I'll give you that. But what about Jesus? Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the incarnate version of God in human flesh. And he is here on this earth. And he has been, he has fasted for 40 days in the desert. And at the conclusion, at his weakest, at his most vulnerable time, fully human, fully God, knows the future and knows the outcome of the future and the outcome of the future is him dead on a cross. Knows that no matter what happens three days later, 24 hours of pain, suffering, and torture is what he is looking down the barrel of in three years. And yet... For him to get there, he was completely present in the now. In the same way Joseph was tempted, Jesus was tempted even more. It says this, next the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give it all to you if you'll kneel down and you'll worship me. And Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Do you understand that Jesus in that moment could have said, no, 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 let me show you a picture. Let me paint you a picture. And he could have snapped fingers or done whatever he needed to do. He didn't need to snap fingers. He didn't need a magic wand. He just needed to say words for things to happen. And he could have shown Satan the truth of who he was and the ridiculousness of that temptation. But do you know what he did? 
He didn't get to the future. He got to the right now. And he said, the way out of this moment isn't showing you what you are. The way out of this isn't showing you what the future will be. The way out of this is to repeat the words that every one of my followers could repeat every single day they want to live for themselves. Because when I die on that cross, after the torture and after the pain, and I am raised again, and I, then those who believe in me will live for something far greater than anything you could ever give them. And all they need to do is serve our God. We don't know the future. And I know that seems silly, and there's a lot of reasons we can be worried right now. There's a lot of things you and I could start doing, and maybe you were like, hey, guys, let's not give as many canned goods to the church because we need to kind of hunker down a little bit. We don't know what's going to happen in January. Maybe you're like, hey, we're not sure. We need to start going to a cashless system. Hey, whatever you're doing, I'm just telling you, there's a future you can't predict. But there's a now that you can live in in such a way that people are affected Not by how many canned goods you got or who you voted for or any of this. But how you live your life moment by moment for others in such a way that they say, man, the Lord is with them. That's the key to success. It isn't the proper prediction of the future. It's the proper perspective of the now. That it's not a failure. It's not a wash. It's a preparation for our roots to go down deep in the ground where we are so that in the future... Because guess what? Summer's coming. And it's an endurance test to the end. And if we're not ready, if we don't understand what needs to happen right now, we're never going to make it through those long, hot months. Each season of our life is preparing us for the next season. Not so that we'll be some just superhuman, but so that we, in some small part, can do the things that God set for us to do long ago. Ephesians 2.10. You are the outward expression. You are the workmanship. You are the poema. You are the... the inner thought of Christ of God at that time and he created you with passion and intention and not just so that you could endure this earth but so that there would be works he created first and then he created you because when you create the works first you create the perfect solution to those works and that's exactly what you are not in the future right now and looking to the future and dreading the future almost forfeits your ability to work in the current And so you're not thriving now and you're not going to thrive then because you're starting this perpetual cycle of just nothing. Doom and gloom. What a waste. Because to have the works created and not to be, not those works so that when you do them you're saved, but so that when you're saved you would do the works. And that you were made perfect to do them. That puts you not there, but here. And they build upon the other to do more and more. Why? So that somebody could go, man, that's a really good person. No, because someday, guess what comes in the fall? The harvest. The culmination of those good works. And then we're not all taken up like Enoch. No, we're still left here. And guess what happens? We start all over again. What a privilege. What a purpose that supersedes anything we could do. Here's what I'd like us to do this week.
It's really simple. It's one, one single thing. How can you be more present today in order to succeed tomorrow? What are you missing now because all you can think about is what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know what that is. It's not as cookie cutter and as simple as I've made it out to be. I've used very prime, large examples that I'm sure are much more detailed and nuanced in your own personal life. But they're there. They're there. How could you be more present today? How could you see today so differently that people begin to go, wow, that's not fear-based living. That's this belief in something else, something greater, something better, something deeper. And right now, I need that. Because to thrive in the future is to be present in the now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us. And we want to capitalize and we want to make the most of the things that you do. The way that you've set up our life, that we would see the seasonal nature. And that we'd lean in and we'd embrace it because it's not failure. It's a beautiful plan in a beautiful way that you usher us into your will and your way. So forgive us when we make it about us. Give us the courage to step out and live in faith and belief and to be bold for you. And that you give us the courage to stop worrying about the things we can't change and live right now making the most of what we can. Oh, how I've fallen victim to that. And if others in this room have, I pray that you would unify us in our diligence to not let it happen again. Speak to us, guide us, lead us through fire and smoke. But above all, have grace on us. So we thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great week.